two minutes before 12, so good morning, everybody, morning, and welcome to a series that we have been doing called The Church from Eternity to Eternity, uh, and today's message um, is the last one, and I wonder if you could just turn me down a little bit in the house speakers, thank you. Um, today's title is Emmanuel to Eternity, so it's the very last one of the whole batch. And I think my, I'd like to suggest that my subtitle is Church Building, Church Building. So um, uh, Pastor Mikey prayed for me already, so and us hopefully, for me to speak and for us to listen. Um, so let me start off by saying, you are... A project. You are a project. A project that God is committed to completing if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to leave myself out. I am a project <laughs> that God is in the process of completing. Therefore, we collectively are in a process of being renovated. Now, I use that word loosely. Maybe to say that we're under construction would probably be a better term. You may have, have seen some of these house renovation TV programs, right? Um, buildings that are pretty much stripped back to bare minimum, hardly recognizable. And then they eventually end up being completely transformed over a process of time and extensive work, right? That is a loose description of what God is doing in our lives, individually, but also, also collectively. See, as we heard in the second session of this series, we're broken and we're busted, yet we are God's image bearers, right? That means that we have value. We've been created in the image of God, and that image has been distorted in similar fashion. I remember hearing Pastor E. Um, he's preaching at another church today, so um, yeah, I've been praying for him this morning. And I think he had about four sessions that he had to do since Friday, so he's coming in for the last lap now. I remember hearing Pastor E give a great example um, of our spiritual lives and that of uh, a reflection in a mirror. Before sin, Adam and Eve perfectly reflected the image of God, right? Um, we too have been made in the image of God, but his reflection in us has been terribly marred. It's been terribly damaged. We since then look at a cracked reflection in the mirror, an unfaithful reflection in the mirror, illustrating our brokenness. We are a project. <laughs> we don't just need a minor remodel, we need to be remade. We, I'm not just suggesting a makeover, we need major renovation. Now, this relates to the language that's used by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And um, I'm hoping that this is going to work. Uh, maybe, yeah, all right. Was that me or was that you? 
Okay, maybe it was me then. Maybe it's just on a bit of delay. Matthew 16, um, you can turn there if you like. Um, I've got it up on the screen. Hopefully you can see it. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Simon replied, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, there's a lot in here to discuss that we're not going to. My fundamental focus is going to be verse 18, and not even the whole verse. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As mentioned previously, we normally teach expositionally, um, that is verse by verse. In contrast, this short series is topical, the topic being the church from eternity to eternity. So based on verse 18, I've got two points that I'm going to come back to in a moment. <clears throat> and, 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 and given th that this is the last session, I've got a graphic that summarizes where we've been over the past five weeks. And, and I'm hoping it will help to intro this last session in our series. And um, so... click it but it's, oh there we go so the church from eternity to eternity you can see eternity one side eternity the other side right i'm gonna start with um a 15 i'd like to think minute intro and then i'll take the remainder of time to lay out the the next two points okay so the church from eternity to eternity and you'd be like the church from eternity that can't be right, Rob. The church only came about recently, like 2,000 years ago, like since the end of the New Testament, you might say, if you haven't been around for the session. Well, go on, Emmanuel. I had a dream about seeing you today, you know, and your lovely wife, your lovely family. And look at that. In a sense, you'd be right. But in a sense, it's not true. The church has been around for, eon, list, for eons. Listen to Stephen refer to God's people who came out of Egyptian slavery after the Exodus. Sis, you click it, because if I'm here clicking it, ain't responding. There you go. Thank you. Acts chapter 7. Listen to this. If you think the church only came about recently. He brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, this is Stephen doing a biblical theology of 
Jewish history in front of the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's going to end up getting, getting stoned to death for it. That's the context of this. And verse 37, he says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church, where? In the wilderness. So, can you see that this reference to church is not a new one, strictly speaking, in terms of the proper definition of the word? See, this is referring to the time of the Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. Long time ago, right? <laughs> Where God's people are referred to as the church. Can you see that the church isn't a new concept? Other Bible versions translate the word church as congregation in the wilderness. Another translation says the assembly in the wilderness. How many of you know the, orig the original Greek word for assembly, for for, for congregation, for church, is ecclesia, right? A group of people called out and assembled by God for God. That's why we called our church ecclesia, God's people for his glory. And if you think that Exodus is an early example of the church, well, we saw that the concept of the church, that is God's people, his assembly, was in God's mind before Exodus, it was actually even before Genesis, Scylla. Now, some of the writing's a bit small. But can you see that the church was in the heart of God, the mind of God, way back in eternity past? Pastor E did that for us. Before the world was created, back in eternity past, we, we've been arguing that you can identify God's people to church throughout salvation history. How about in the garden? That's next, right? Can you see it from where you're sitting? Chelsea, can you see that all the way back there? You're young, man. You've got good eyes. <laughs> the church in Eden, you'd be like, in Eden, yep. Between eternity and Eden, that small, what they call epoch, that's what you're looking at, all of these little sections, the different epochs of human history. <clears throat> Although only two people, Adam and Eve, albeit small, a gathering nonetheless, and that with God. God's people in God's place under God's rule and God's blessing. Shortly after that, between Eden and Exodus, we see a, a poignant picture painted by the flood, which is God's judgment on a sinful world, and there's only one place of safety, right, for God's people, and where is that? It's on the ark. It's the only place of safety. If you want to be right with God, if you want to be safe and with God, you better get on the ark, says Noah. Right? That's where his people were. God's place was the ark. God's people was Noah and his family. And those gathered were only a handful albeit more than the two in the garden, can you see the growth and development of the church or God's assembled people or God's gathered people? Moving on historically, where are we now? Okay, Exodus to the exile. The time in the wilderness 
after the Exodus, as we read earlier, the gathering is now where? In the wilderness, but around what? Anybody help me? Around the... Thank you, Mr. Carnegie. The tabernacle. And you've seen the pictures of the tabernacle, right? It's like a collapsible tent that the children of Israel used to travel with in the wilderness. And God was there with his people. And sometimes they'd go to bed and they'd wake up. And the cloud had moved. And they'd have to strip down the tent, pack it up, and then move to where the cloud was and set up by the cloud. Because God's people need to be where God is. And it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's presence with his people, with his gathered people. And, and once in the promised land, as they transitioned right through that wilderness, the place of gathering for God's people would then eventually become the temple. And the temple in Jerusalem is now the place to meet with God. And it almost becomes synonymous with the gathering. And sinfully, the temple becomes somewhat more important than the people gathering. And a shift takes place or begins to take place in the thinking of God's people. And they put too much emphasis on the building. And they gradually act more and more sinfully. And they think, you know, I know I'm sinful, but it's all right, man. I can just go to the temple. It'd be like, you know what, I, I know I'm a bit sinful and that, but it's all right because I can just go to church. And depending on your perspective of sinfulness, it might be, well, I'll go to church once a week. Or I'll go to church at Christmas. Or I'll go to church at Easter. Depending on your barometer, you know what I'm saying, in terms of how you measure sin, it's like, I can just go to that spiritual place and everything will be all right. See, which results historically in God now judging his people. and Because that's not, that's not a healthy way to think. It leads to God judging his people and allowing the Babylonians to destroy the precious temple. And take his people into captivity. God's people are ejected from the land. A little bit reminiscent like Adam and Eve ejected out of the garden and God's people go into exile and here they are still gathered but in Babylon by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down remember there we wept when we remembered all oh, right then which was Jerusalem Mount Zion which where the temple was their hearts are broken, but it's now, I mean, their hearts are broken fundamentally because God's heart is broken. And now they're getting it. But why wait to get banished to Babylon? Some things don't change. You know what I mean? Are we any better? No, we're not. So God's people, they get, they get taken into captivity. Now... <clears throat> It's funny because as much as Babylon is a very key place, historically speaking, prior to that and after that, um, Babylon actually becomes God's place. And anyone that stays in Jerusalem at this particular time is actually in disobedience. The place to be, <laughs> Babylon, Babylon is the place to be. 
And that becomes God's place, doesn't it, for a, a period of time. And, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's really interesting because it helps us to understand a pattern. Babylon mysteriously becomes God's place. And that because the people are the focus, not the temple. The people are the focus, not the physical temple. Can you see where this is going? Seventy years later, they return back to Jerusalem and proceed to rebuild the destroyed temple. And they call this now the second temple period, right? So... <clears throat> Where should the emphasis be? The people have come back into the land. They're going to reconstruct the temple. Should the emphasis be back on this temple that already got destroyed? Or should it be on the people? Well, incidentally, look at the different types of individuals that make up God's people over the past 6,000 years. Go to that next slide for me, my brother. Hope you're tracking with me, yeah? Um, between Eden and Exodus, who's getting saved? Or who's being brought into relationship with God at that time? Predominantly Gentiles, because up until the time um, Jacob has Judah, you know what I'm saying? Technically, there are no Jews. So everyone up to that point, I mean, who is the father of faith? Abraham, right? Where did Abraham come from? How many of you know Abraham wasn't a... Uh, a thank you. Abraham wasn't a Jew, quote-unquote. Abraham came from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is ancient. What's, what's it ancient? Yeah, but that's the modern word. I want the ancient word. It's not Persia. It will come back to me. But it's modern day Iraq. That's where he comes from originally. So he wasn't a Jew. There were no Jews up until Judah, technically speaking. But from that point, from Judah, all the way up to Jesus, Emmanuel, that we're going to look at in a minute, <clears throat> predominantly, the people who are coming into right relationship are now Jews, predominantly. But not exclusively, because we have a couple of Gentiles that, gets, get, that come into relationship with God. Anybody remember any of them? I think, I'm thinking of two ladies. Jericho, prostitute, Rahab, and how about the Moabite? Ruth. She ain't a Jew. She's a Moabite. She's a Moabite. But they get in. So predominantly Jews, but not exclusively Jews. But then from the time of the book of Acts, approximately, who do we see flooding into the church? Flooding into God's gathering. Flooding into the people of God, the gathering. Well, initially it was Jews, wasn't it? In Acts 2, 3,000 Jews get saved. But then over a process of time, you get to Acts chapter 8. You know what I mean? You see the Ethiopian official. I don't like to call him the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch. Because that's like calling him the emasculated black man. We get too much of that. He's an official. You know what I mean? And he's not a, Gent he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. Acts chapter 10, you get Cornelius, an Italian. Gets brought, he's, he gets brought into the kingdom. So over a process of time, it's, 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 you, you find that it's mainly Jews, mainly Gentiles now getting saved and coming into right relationship with God right up to today. How many, how many Jewish people we got sitting in here today? Predominantly Gentiles, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Right, we got. Amen, bro. I wasn't arguing with you. You know what I mean? So we got, we got half a half a percent of the congregation. Mesopotamia, thank you. Ancient Iraq, thank you, my sister. <clears throat> so here we now arrive at this final epoch, this final section for our final session. Emmanuel now to eternity. Can you see where we've been? Hopefully where we're going to see the introduction notice of a new temple, not made with hands. And to summarize, in the, in the Old Testament we see God's people gathered to him or God with his people in different epochs, right? That's what we just did. Okay, let's, let's see this continue in the New Testament um, and that right from the gate. How many of you know Emmanuel is another title for who? Help me. Come on, I know we've been away for a long time. And I know some people are just getting back into it. But hey, who? Emmanuel is another title for a particular person. His name is Jesus, which means what? Emmanuel. Thank you, sis. Go to that next slide for me, please. Silla? Thank you. Matthew chapter 1. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. See, and then in John, we see a few intriguing things take place that bring all of these Old Testament concepts that we've been discussing together. Think about it. Jesus coming, Matthew says is similar to God in the Old Testament meeting with his people. How many times in the old, throughout the Old Testament do you see God come down and be with his people? But now he's literally coming down in a person, in the person of Jesus, who is the second member of the triunity of God, right? The Godhead. John chapter 1. Thank you, sis. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who's this mysterious individual called the Word that is God and was with God? You drop down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says, the Word became flesh. And notice, made his dwelling among us. There's only a few translations that translate that word dwelling differently. Anybody know? the fundamental meaning of that word dwelling. You know, it's funny, you know, anytime I, I share the word, I feel like I'm doing one thing over another. You know, some people talk about the difference between preaching and teaching. You know, they say preaching is proclamation, teaching is explanation. I find that I teach more than I preach, so forgive me. I think we need a lot more teaching in the church, not necessarily our church. Paul reminded me earlier that, you know, we try to go through the word quite healthily. Um, but, yeah, you might be like, wow, this is a lot of looking at verses and a lot of, it's all right. It's because you never read your Bible this week, isn't it? It's all right. <laughs> you need it. You need it. I need it. <laughs> Anybody know what, what, what the original word in the Greek is for that word dwelling? House or home? Tent. Thank you, Bertram. The word is tabernacle. The word is tabernacle. 
The Word became flesh and tabernacled. Can you see God coming down to dwell with His people, similar to the Old Testament, similar to Eden, where God dwelt with His people, similar to in the wilderness, where God came down and He tabernacled, literally in that tent. That's where He, they used to call it the tent of meeting. Meeting who? Where they met with God. Can you see? But now, in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, sounds like Jesus is the new tabernacle. And what did the tabernacle become? Um, chapter 4 of, of, of John. So the Jews said to him, that is to Jesus, what sign do you... Now, Jesus just mashed up the temple. He turned over tables and chairs and caused a real disturbance, and they want to ask Jesus, who does he think he is, Right? So the Jews said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, which is where they were standing, right? Quote, unquote. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And the Jews then said, we knew that you was a madman. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Note verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. You'd be like, Rob, are you trying to say that Jesus is the new temple? Well, what other option do you have? Because that very temple, 40 years after Jesus was crucified, was destroyed under Nero. So technically, there has been no temple for nearly 2,000 years. But how many of you know that hasn't prevented God from meeting with his people? He didn't need a temple in the Garden of Eden but he does need a people. And now it's not two people in a garden or eight people on an ark or even 70 people who entered Egypt with Jacob or even hundreds of thousands of people who traveled through the wilderness. How many of you know God has millions of people worldwide in what we now define as the church? He doesn't need a physical building. How many of you know the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. We don't need a physical building. Let's take this a little further, because the temple, or what I'm arguing now, the invisible temple, actually includes God's people along with Jesus. See, we are all bricks in the invisible building, and so is Jesus. But he's just the most significant brick or block or stone is what the, the New Testament uses, right? In the invisible temple of God, Scylla. First Peter chapter two says, as you come to him, the living stone, he's not just the stone, he's a living stone. Rejected by humans, but notice, chosen by God and precious to him. See, Jesus is he's a, he's, he's a stone, but he's a significant stone. Verse 5, but you also like living stones. You'd be like, whoa, I'm, part, I'm, a, I'm a part of the temple, I'm a part of the building, yes. 
are being built up, are being built into a spiritual house or a temple to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and then it's going to quote from three places in the Old Testament, once from Isaiah and twice from the Psalms. No, twice from Isaiah, once from the Psalms. See, and it's going to mention stone three times. See, because it's three quotes. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, oh, the stone is a person. Yeah, it's Jesus, Emmanuel. He, the person who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, now to you who believe, this is another quote, that this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone, Jesus, the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. They could reject him as much as they like. He's my special stone in my invisible temple. Verse 8, and a stone, another quote, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That means set apart. You're distinct. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the ecclesia, you're the assembly, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's people meeting with God in his new temple, not made with hands. And notice verse 5 again. What is happening to that spiritual house, that temple, that is also God's people? Somebody tell me, shout it out. Oh, come on now, Brother B. Thank you, my brother. It's being built. And notice that is continual present tense. God is building his temple, which is his people. What is another word for God's people today? It's the church. And Jesus says in our text, in Matthew 16... Verse 18, Jesus says, me, I will build my church. And if you are a part of the church, if I am a part of the church, we are God's wonderful building project. First Corinthians chapter 3, Silla, says for, notice, we are God's fellow workers, says Paul. You are God's field, but you are also God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Christ Jesus. We just read that he's the chief cornerstone. He's the select significant stone, right? Verse 12, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Hmm. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, they will suffer loss, though they themselves will be saved, but only as through fire themselves. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's 
it couldn't be any could I even make it any clearer? You'd be like, you never had to bother with all of that long talk, Robert. You could have just saved five minutes and just read the verse. You are the church. You are God's temple. People, the, the, those who Paul is writing to in Corinth, they were God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in them, in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God would destroy him or her for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Am I making it up? We'll come back to our roles, I mean, our roles and responsibilities in terms of the work of the church. You heard me emphasizing them, right? <laughs> Nobody gets away, you know. Everyone is a builder. You know, Mikey P, um, he's an ex, uh, I, I shouldn't even say it. Because uh, if I say it, you're going to be like, really? And you're going to give him a call if you have a need. But back in the day, Mike was a specialist in a particular field. Let me just put it like that. And if you, and if you know, you know, innit? <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, you might be like, well, I don't have that skill. But you've got some kind of skill. It might be administration. Or it might be speaking. Or it might be working with children. Everyone, bar no one, has got a skill and a gift and a talent that is valid and valuable in the kingdom of God. In... It, it, in the, in the church, in this church, in Ecclesia, and like I said, I highlighted some of the challenges that we all face with regards to the work that we're doing, and we need to be challenged because at some point, it's going to be evaluated. As much as you may do or as little as you may do, it will be evaluated. Now, like I said, I said we'll come back to it. Robert, come back to it. So that is my introduction. I'm going to now try to take 20 minutes or so to make my two points. Sis, go to that next slide for me, please. Here are my two points. Number one, an ongoing building project that fundamentally fleshes itself out in discipleship. And the second point is an indestructible structure. And we're going to talk about death being defeated, um, particularly by the Lord, Lord Jesus. God's people are not a church building, but God is building his church. Have you ever heard this before? Here is a church, and here is a steeple. Let me do it for the people on YouTube. Here is a church, here is a steeple. Open the doors, and there are the people. That's not true. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. This is more true. Here is, a, here is a building. Here is a building. You know the difference already. And here is a steeple. Open the doors. And here is the church. That is the people. How does God build his people? Well, he uses his people to build his people. And if God's people are stones or blocks or bricks, in order to build, you first need to gather raw materials. Any idea what that might possibly be alluding to, metaphorically speaking? Beg your pardon? Maybe us, yes. But I'm talking about the process of going and getting the raw materials to bring them and add them to the building. Come on now, Harry. Evangelism. Evangelism. We need to go get the bricks. Thank God in 1989, someone come and got this brick. And, and you, whenever it was that you got saved, when you were converted, 
You were brought as a brick into the building of God's house, right? Evangelism. Matthew chapter 28, Silla. Matthew 28 says, and Jesus, you know, this is, anybody know what they call this section of scripture? It's the manifesto or the great, begins with C. Commission. This is the great commission. This is what Jesus is saying to the disciples as he's getting ready to leave. How many of you know, if you're getting ready to leave a group of people for the last time, whatever you say is going to be really important. And especially if you're Jesus. And this is what he says to them. He says, look, he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all, I shouldn't have said that. Mike, are you, you're really listening, Mike. I'm not sure everybody else is listening. Some authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and, and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can you see here how Jesus is using people to collect people? Can you see here how, how Jesus is, is, is using um, stones to go gather stones? But they're living stones. Are you allowing Jesus to build his church with your involvement? How, how are you making disciples? See, part of, the, part of the reason we gather like this is so we can be challenged, right? We need to be encouraged and we need to um, support one another and help each other, but we also need to challenge one another, don't we? I mean, you know that. I mean, you're, you're here. You know that. You've been here for a while. Unless you rolled in, it's the first time you've been in church for years or you've never been, <clears throat> you've never been in a gathering where the church is meeting. And you might be like, oh, that's a bit challenging. Mm -hmm. Are you allowing Jesus to build his church with your involvement? How are you making disciples? Um, Pastor Mikey mentioned it earlier. There's loads of ways to do it, like praying. Are you praying for your family members? I said to Scylla earlier, um, she didn't realize that my mom had passed away a couple months ago. And uh, she said, oh, you know, my condolences. And I said, yeah, boy, for real, I need your condolences because my mom used to pray for me every day. Now she's gone. I have to pray for, my, I have to pray for myself. <laughs> and I have to fill in all the blanks. I have to pray for all the people that she was praying for. You know what I mean? The responsibility now, I'm the eldest. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. The responsibility in one sense has come to me to pray for family members, to pray for, um, to pray for my spouse, to pray for um, your partner, to pray for your children, to pray... For your parents, your work colleagues, you can join. If you, if, you, if you struggle with prayer, join us on a Tuesday night. You know what I mean? You, you, you can pray. Unless you see prayer as something, you know, illustrious and lubricous and complicated and difficult, it's not. It's just you talking to your father with the rest of your family. It's like guidance. Another way you, you work in the, 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 in the kingdom, in the church, is by sharing your testimony, sharing the gospel, being a witness. Somebody was like, oh, Robert, I, I, I'm not an evangelist. I haven't been to Bible college. You don't have to be, go to Bible college. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. You know, that's one of the five-fold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Not everyone's called to be an evangelist. 
But how many of you know we are all called to be witnesses? And all a witness does is stand up and say what they saw. And if you got saved, how many of you know you were there? That means you can tell me what happened. Just testify to what happened. And no one can't challenge you, can't take that away from you. That's your testimony. You can share that. You know, being a witness is synonymous with being a Christian. You can teach and train others, train new converts and make disciples in that sense. You'd be like, but again, see, I haven't been to Bible college. You don't need to. Jesus said, all you've got to do is teach people what I commanded you. Teach people what I've taught you. So all you know is John 3.16. Cool. Well, teach John 3.16. And then during the week, on the, follow, on the second week where you've got to meet up and speak to that person, figure out John 3.17. You've got a week to figure out John 3.17. And when you come back, you share John 3.17. And guess what you do the following week? And so on. And before you know it, you work through the whole Bible. It will take you about 10 lifetimes. If you do one verse a, a, a week, but... See? It's not as complicated as, as often we may, we may think it is. See? And, 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 and fundamentally, I suppose it really goes back to... I have to teach what I've been taught. The question is, am I being taught? Because then if I'm not being taught, then I'm going to struggle to teach. See, and this is going to come back to how we function together as a gathering, as a group, as a family, supporting one another in that sense. See? The best way to do all the abjects, all of the above, is to do it in conjunction, in context of the local church. You know, because this makes the burden much less heavier. It's not all on you. It's not all on me. See, you can just invite people to church so they can get exposed to the message of the Bible. Invite people to Rich's, Pastor Rich's midweek Bible study if you feel like you're not able to. Invite people to special services. We've got Christmas coming up. Six months is going to be Easter. You know what I mean? You can start gearing up. You find it hard to speak to your family. Start praying now, innit? Lord, give me courage to speak to my family and invite them to church at Christmas. You, can, you might be a bit more advanced where you can read the Bible with someone. You can start a Bible study at work. You know, you could start up a Bible study or a community group in your home. And maybe invite someone else to lead and teach it if you don't feel capable. But know that if it's me coming within six months, you're going to be teaching. You're going to be getting involved. You're going to be getting your feet wet. And progressively, over a process of time, like all of us who started from square one with the ABCs, you get to a point where you move from milk to meat, and you help others to do likewise. <clears throat> Attending and helping at our food bank. You know what I mean? If speak to Pastor Mikey and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to come one I'm going to come one Monday a month. I'm going to come one month. I'm going to come bi-monthly. That's, that's once every two months. That's six times a year. I'm going to come on a Monday night. And you know what? I feel terrified, but how long do, how long do you preach the gospel for, Pastor Mike? What, Ten minutes? I might only be able to do five in all. Pastor Mike's like, don't worry, cool, five is good. Even if two minutes is all you do. Here's the mic. There's the people. Share your testimony. It's really not that complicated. 
See, the list is literally endless and none of this ought to be done on your own. It's all executed alongside other members of the church community. See, if what Jesus said about himself in verse 18 is true, I highlighted it. All authority, not just on earth, but in heaven as well. If he says that, and that's true, whatever he says next, if he says jump, you say how high. See, it's, it's go, getting, teaching, training, making disciples. It's making disciples, but it's also, huh, it's making disciples, but it's also submitting to the process of being made a disciple. Which I think is the real challenge, isn't it? Because I'm jumping to, to point B when really point A is the issue. Because if I'm at point A and I'm, and I'm actually allowing that to happen in my life, then point B becomes, okay, whoa, that, that's kind of manageable. But you can't jump to point B like, I'm going to go make disciples unless you yourself personally are being made a disciple. You see, and this doesn't happen in isolation. Remember, you're a project. <laughs> are you spending time in community with other believers? Hebrews chapter 10. Silla. Verse 24. And let us consider. Funny. That's what we're doing, I think, in some way, shape, or form. We're considering how to stir up one another to love and good works. Like building in 1 Corinthians 3. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I hesitated there because I feel like I want to say something about meeting online versus meeting in person. I think all I will say is meeting online is not bad. You know, because I think sometimes we can hate on online church, right? I think we have to be careful and say it's not bad. It's good, but meeting in person is better. You know what I mean? I see Jesse nodding at the back there. I got his full attention, I think. He's looking at me, he's smiling, he can hear me. When you're online, you're doing the ironing, you're listening, but you're not really concentrating. You know what I'm saying? Or you're cooking the dinner. It's a good thing. And you're listening, you know what I mean? But there's a, you listen differently when you're in the room. And the thing is, you're not distracted while you're in the room. And I know half of you are still distracted. <laughs> half of you still ain't even really paying attention. Because if I was to test you about something that I shared maybe five or ten minutes ago, I'm not going to do that. You could test me. I probably wouldn't remember what I said five, ten minutes ago. But... There's something different about meeting in person. And again, there's a lot more that can be said, but I just thought I'd just mention that. Ephesians 2, sis, goes on with the thought and says, So then, you are, no longer, mm, you, are, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, because they're stones, right? 
but Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, he's the main stone in the building, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So again, as you can see, we are a temple, a building under construction, but we are also, notice, a family. You see the word that I highlighted in verse 19, the end, household. We are a, we are a family, and you know what they say, right? They say you can choose your friends. See, are you happy and willing to appreciate me as your brother? See, this, this, like, when you really get down to brass tacks, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, this is part of the reason why people leave churches. Because fundamentally, I don't like you. <laughs> or I don't like the way you do what you do. Or you say the things that you say. You know, and God is good because he provides other environments for us to go in, and then you can go find what you like, innit? Hopefully, hopefully. See, are you happy, and that's probably not a good word to use, are you willing, you know what I mean, to, 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 to accept me as your brother, or am I an embarrassment to you? Do I get on your nerves? Well, guess what? Sometimes you get on my nerves too. Mark knew that was coming. <laughs> but how many of you know that's what happens in a family? That's what happens in a household? What, like, why is that strange to us? Well, I'm not going back to that church. Cause, why? Because you know what? The A, B, C, D, E, F, G of things that happen in a regular family. So what do you do? You cut your, you cut your brother off? You cut your, your biological sister off? And it's funny, I ask that question. Some people actually do. It's like things are messed up in, us, in our culture. I can't even use the illustration properly. You know what I mean? To say, you know, when you've got a family, you really, oh yeah, for real. Family's different, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's different. No, it ain't. It's not. For some people, it ain't. I can't even. See? And this is, the key. this is the thing. When you begin to live with other people, even people that you don't necessarily like. Remember, Jesus didn't tell us. He didn't command us to like one another. He said, love one another. You know, I can love you without liking you. But if I love you over a process of time... And this is really helpful because living at close quarters is actually very beneficial, as painful as it sometimes might be. You see, this is why marriage is so exhausting. Because you can't get away from each other. At least if, you know what, if Pastor Mike offends me, if, if Zebedee offends me, I'll just leave the church. <laughs> but when I'm married, my, 
I still I can't use that elephant as an example either, can I? <laughs> now, if we were living in, I don't want to say an ideal world, but if we were living in a godly environment, I could use family as an, I could use marriage as an example of two people being together and they can't get away from each other, although technically they can, but they can't because they won't because they're committed to Christ and they're committed to each other. You know how helpful that is? You see, you only really get to know someone when you commit to them. Last week, we were clearing up in the cupboard then. Harry said, just throw away comment. Harry said, you don't really know who you are until someone else confirms it. I nearly put a picture up with the quote next to her, next to her face. <laughs> I thought it was so hell. I just never had time. You don't really know who you are until someone else confirms it, positively or negatively. You, you don't know your blessing until someone says, Mr. Carnegie, you're such a blessing. Jida, you're such... Paul, you're such a blessing, brother. And it warms your heart. You know what I mean? Like, praise God, man. Oh, yeah. Praise God. <laughs> no, you don't do that. You're like, praise the Lord, man. Positively. But then negatively, somebody gets up in your face and says, you know what, bruv? You're a nightmare, bruv. <laughs> Now, the first one, we're quite used to and accustomed to doing and receiving. The second one, we're not so used to, right? But how many of you know it's important? It's important. See, you can't be sure of who you really are until someone else who is close enough to get the, to know the real you confirms it. Harriet, so spot on. Why do you think so many married people get divorced? You think it's irreconcilable differences? Irreconcilable differences. Like, who came? That must have come from the mind of Satan, of the, the lips of Lucifer himself. Irreconcilable differences. No, that's not the reason. It's because... It's because you can't, you can't deal with the reality of who you really are. Now, I shouldn't have said it like that. I should have said, you can't really deal with the reality of who that person is. Or maybe you do, that's why you leave. But I think I'd like to argue. See, I didn't really realize who they were, you know. Well, surely you didn't get married not knowing that you were marrying a sinner. You never knew you was marrying a sinner. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking to anyone specifically. You know I'm speaking generally. Like, So if, if I look at you, you know I'm not speaking to you. You know what I mean? I'm saying, especially if you come in today, you feel like, that's it. I'm drawing up, I'm drawing up divorce papers. You know what I mean? You might have put them in the post last week. I don't know. I'm not talking to you specifically. But what I am definitely trying to say is, you knew you were marrying a sinner, right? So it shouldn't be a, a big surprise, irreconcilable differences. No, nah, but 
You needed to get married to show you that you are a sinner. Because it's in those close quarters, you begin to, if you're honest, you begin to really see who you are in the mirror. And it's a cracked reflection of the image of God, isn't it? You'd be like, oh, it's her fault. Like, you know, it's, it's his fault. <laughs> no, you're, you're, the pro- you're the, remember, you are the project. You are the problematic project, remember? And you don't really find out who you are in isolation. And it comes back to, obviously, the big point I'm trying to make is, that's why you need the church. You, you, you see, the thing is, I find very often we're having to sell the church. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, well, well we, we, got, we, got, we, got, we got warm air ventilation. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a relatively new building. The seats are comfortable. You've got to do all of this stuff to get people to be like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll pass by. <laughs> it's like you've got to do so much to sell the church. I'm saying, listen, you need the church. Desperately. You need to be in close community. You need to be in communion so that you can begin to hear where honest brothers and sisters tell you the truth. Positively, but also negatively. You need the church. And you know what? The church needs you. Let me look at the camera. The church needs you wherever you are. You may be listening. And it may not be this church, but it's definitely a church because you need to be in the church. See, you cannot love God and not love his people it's an oxymoron. Marriage is so challenging. I should have said marriage is such a blessing. <laughs> You're in close community with another person who gets to see the real you. You can only pretend for so long. And notice, even God himself is constrained by community. The father can't get away from the son. And the son can't get away from the spirit. God ain't asking us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. They don't get to function separately and independently in isolation. And then the Trinity, how glorious it is that the Trinity then comes down and they interact with you and me. And they begin to share that wonderful interdependency that they enjoy with you and me. And then me with you. How many of you know Simon is the man with two names? Well, he's actually got three names. But for the sake of the illustration. Simon, his name is Peter. And what's his other name? Not Simon. It begins with S, though. And it's in the context. You lot ain't listening. Satan. (laughs) Didn't you hear me read it? (laughs) Oh, no, he didn't say get behind me, Satan, in that text, did he? He said, oh, I'm rebuked. But it's in that context. It's in that context. And it's the same thing in the church. You're going to get people who act like a saint, and then you're going to get the same people that act like Satan. Imagine, this apostle is inspired by God one minute. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Everyone's like, whoa. Jesus like, that came straight from the throat. That came straight from your father in heaven. And Peter's like, 
and the, it's coming like the, like the next sentence or the next set of sentences or statements he makes. Jesus turns around and says, wait a minute. And he calls him, he says, get behind me, Satan. Imagine, you and I can be inspired by God's spirit one minute to speak incredible truth that builds believers, that builds the church. But then we can also be used by the devil to destroy believers and tear down the church. So try this. If your spouse speaks to you in an off-key manner, do what Jesus did. Get behind. Don't call them by their name. <laughs> Get behind me. I mean, we're supposed to do what, Je what Jesus did, right? get thee behind me. Like, give them King James, get thee behind me, Satan. I bet you any money, they fix up quick. If they're a genuine believer, fix up quick, quick. See? And that's what we need to do with each other. Graciously, mind you, Jesus wasn't off key, but he was very direct. <laughs> See, this stuff will have you either knuckling down or running for the hills. You know what I mean? Wow. I'm so glad that you are a part of the family of God. I'm surprised that you're in the family of God. <laughs> See, the same grace that brought us into union with Christ has brought us into communion with one another. Family, they say, blood is what? It's thicker than water. And we're not talking about any and any blood. We're talking about Jesus' precious blood. You see, if only we grasp this truth, things would change overnight. See, and the question is, talk about evangelism, what kind of family are we bringing people into? And this, this will make us... This will... This will this will help us to not be snowflakes when we can manage like a stiff rebuke or a, because you know it's coming from a heart of love. You, you know it's coming from your family. You know it's coming from a heart of an individual that's committed to your, to your building up. I don't want to minimize this and make it sound like it's simple. It's not simple, but this is what it is. And see... Being a disciple and making disciples. And this is something that Jesus does through you and through me. I've got to wrap up in it. Look again just quickly at Matthew 28. Next slide, sis. Just right at the end, verse 20. I just said this is something that Jesus will do, does do, through you and through me. Can you see it? Jesus says, and behold, I am with you. Just like in the Old Testament, God's presence with his people. I am with you, my gathered people. My precious, beloved, precious possession, the church. I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says this to disciples 2,000 years ago. Question, have we got to the end of the age yet, Millie? We haven't got to the end of the age yet. That means that Jesus is still working alongside disciples. You're not alone. Can you see how Jesus is building his church? And next slide, sis. It's ongoing. 
The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can you see two things there? Can you see all that we just spent a lot of time on? The ongoing building project, which is discipleship, right? Now that took me much longer than it's going to take me to make this last point. An indestructible structure or death defeated. Think about this. A few different views circulate on this on the second part of this verse i will choose one particularly because of time notice whatever it is that's being described as not prevailing is not prevailing in other words the church that jesus constructs is indestructible notice it's not hell that is described as trying to prevail against the church is it can you see that? If it's not hell, what is it? Help me because I need you to be with me. Nobody? Okay. It's the gates. Right? It's the gates. It's not hell that is described as trying to prevail against the church, but you might be like, well, well the gates are connected to hell, so yeah, in one sense, yes. But te technically... It's hell's, it's hell's gates, cool. What then are hell's gates? Well, what is hell? As far as I understand, hell is the realm of the dead. It's not the final destination. Because Revelation says, death and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. So it's a temporary holding place, right? For those who have done what? passed through the gates into this realm, into this place. It's the place where people who have died in their sins have gone. And how do you get into that realm? How do you get into that space? Well, you have to go through the gates. What are the gates of hell? Help me. Thank you. Death, death, death is the gateway that leads into hell, isn't it? Now, in simple terms, I think that makes complete sense. What does the Bible say is our greatest enemy? Death. Hebrews, um, 1 Corinthians 15. Death is our greatest enemy. Revelation chapter 1, thankfully, Jesus says, I died, but death never had the power over me. And behold, look, I'm alive forevermore. And I have, note, the keys of death. And Hades, the realm of the dead. Jesus comes, Jesus comes in swinging the key. Oh, I should have put my keys in my pocket. Swinging the keys to the gate. You'd be like, what? you got the keys? And he's like, yeah. But they're not any, any keys. He's like, no, nah, I know. They're the keys of death. Yeah. Like, what, our greatest enemy. Yeah. Jesus swinging the keys. You know how groundbreaking that is? Jesus... I have the keys of death and Hades, and there's stuff that relates to Matthew 16. Like I said, we, we haven't got time for me to deal with that because I wanted to deal with the topic of the church. Jesus says, I've got the keys to the gates, death. Notice, for 6,000 years, people have died. God's people have died. Has it affected the building project? No. Jesus has continued to build his church, and death, the entrance to hell, hasn't hampered efforts. 
Jesus conquered death. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, right? Death no longer has dominion over him. And if you're in him, guess what? Death no longer has dominion over you if you are in Christ, if you are in his church. You see, it's like the water and the rain and the floods never had no effect on Noah and his family. Why? Because they were in the ark. You'd be like, oh, what do I have to do to get safe? The judgment is coming. Don't build an ark. That's not going to save you. There's another ark that you need to be in. His name is Christ Jesus. And if you're in him, you're safe. See, the church is immune to death. It just keeps going and going and growing and growing. Many have tried to build kingdoms that outlast death and have miserably failed. Name me a group that has lasted a few decades. The Bloods, the Crips, the National Front, the Third Reich. Name me a group of people that has lasted a century. NATO, G7, the World Economic Forum. Name me a group of people that has lasted a thousand years. The British Empire, the Ottoman Empire, Islam, the Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Medo-Persians, the, the Babylonians, the Egyptian Empire. Go all the way back to Babel which is the original prototypical kingdom, the original hierarchical structure that's finally going to be destroyed in Revelation 18. Death has and will defeat all of them. But I can name you one group, a group of people that have been here for over 6,000 years and counting, still going, still growing, and has been here from eternity past, and it will be here, it will be there in eternity future. Go to the last slide for me because I think I'm finished. Still growing. It's been here from eternity past, will be here in eternity future. It will never be defeated, not even by death. It started off in Genesis in a garden with two people. It's going to end up in Revelation in a city with millions. Can you see the ark? Can you see the transition? Can you see the journey of travel? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you because you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We, the church, God's people, past, present, and future, we, there's no denying, Lord, we are a project we are a, a, a building being progressively constructed. Thank you that you're a patient builder. And Lord, your main tool for development is discipleship. That is us sharing the gospel, going out and making disciples, but it's also us personally being made into disciples. Thank you, Lord. You began a good work in us and you're committed to completing the project. For it is you who is at work in us, Philippians 2, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So now, Lord, help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's that which we should be committed to, the church. It's your master plan. It's plan A. There's no plan B. 
Jerusalem that is above, the new temple, the church is an indestructible structure that cannot be defeated even by death. And that's the team, Lord, I want to be on. That's the team that we want to be on. That's the team that we're on, that we're in. That's the team, Lord, we want to be fighting for. That's the team we want to be fighting with. Help us to commit ourselves to the things that you are committed to. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.
Wow. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for the word today. Um, really encouraging, but in small aspects, challenging. Um, and like Pastor Rob said, that's a good thing. We need to be challenged at some point. Um, and again, all of us, we are a work in progress. None of us are the finished article. We are still in that process of regeneration and sanctification. But one day we recognize that we will go on to glorification. But that's not for now. We are still that work in progress. And as Pastor Rob shared about the gifts that God has given us, and we can sometimes be in a place where, you know what, I've got no gifts, I've got no talents. But you know what, God can use that. We was discussing in prayer meeting during the week um, how Pastor Rob was praying for me. Um, before I become a Christian, he was in prayer meeting at Debbie and Tim's down in Lewisham with his broken leg, praying that, telling, you know, the guys that my cousin's in hospital and um, can you pray for him? He's not a Christian. And two twos, look, God can take any life and use it for his glory. I left school with no education at all. Nothing. At the age of 56, I joined London City Mission. And after six days, I rang up Pastor Rob and I said, I can't do this, man. I spoke to Brother Mark. I can't do this. Do you know what I mean? This training and all that stuff is killing me. And Pastor Rob said, you know what? At least give it six months, not six days. And... I'm still here, coming up to two years. Um, but God is, God is good. So, listen, God's got a calling for each and every one of us. And each and every one of us has different callings. But all we do, we start with the little things. And all you do is start with the little things, and God will take that much. I remember sitting in Rob's house one, one evening. I think we was talking about going to Jamaica and stuff like that. And we was eating some nice food. And... Um, we was like, just enjoying ourselves. And Pastor Rob said to me, you know what? To much who is given, much is required. And I took that with me, do you know what I mean? I'm eating food, I'm enjoying myself, but you know what? God requires more than that. So, yeah, let's be encouraged that God is good. And just thinking about our testimony as well, so I'm rambling on a bit. We go out in the streets all the time and people will come and argue about the Bible all day long. Do you know what I mean? They can do that. That's cool. But listen, like Pastor Rob, they can't argue with your testimony. You was there. That's personal to you. And all we have to do is share it. Do you know what I mean? We not, may not be able to preach and all that other stuff, but we can share our testimony. We are overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So all you just tell someone what God has done for you. Do you know what I mean? That's all. That's it. No special magic signs and wonders. Just tell them what God has done in your life. I was once doing this, and look what I'm doing now. How God has changed our lives. Anyway, let's, um, as we get ready to, to close, let's uh, say the grace together. Now, is it on the screen? Oh, just coming. So, yeah, be encouraged. God is good. So, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Have a blessed week, guys, and uh, we do it all again next week. Hopefully we'll see some of you at prayer meeting uh, this week to join us in prayers. Have a blessed week.